recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin. This is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. By the hoary host of Hogoth, I'm Anthony. I'm Tone Loke. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. one of the Davids. <laughs> I'm Jim. <laughs> and I'm Kurt's dad. <laughs> and we have Katie in the other room doing some shopping before she joins the table. So, welcome to issue number 14 of the Crimson Call Comic Book Club. Uh, the meeting slash podcast, if this is your first time listening. Number 14 is a good jump on point, right? New story arc here in the yeah, comic club. Sure. <laughs> um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, we'll talk about some of our club picks in spoiler discussion for the top half of the show. And then for the second half, we'll go around the table and talk non-spoilers for our favorite issues that have come out in the past week or two. And then we'll uh, usually wrap it up with some news, and everybody is invited, uh, whether or not you're uh, part of the club and into the books and not know where to begin, everyone's always welcome to join the discussion and hopefully start reading some comics. So, the first one we're going to talk about is Avengers number 679, which is No Surrender, Part 5. Written by Al Ewing, Jim Zub, and Mark Wade. Art by Kim Jacinto. Colors by Dave Coriel. Letters by Corey Petit. Who is the challenger? What is at stake in his grudge match with the Grand Master? And when the two of them clash, can the Earth survive the destruction they unleash? Alrighty, we had a very action-packed issue uh, last week that we talked about in issue number 13 of the club. Uh, and the big mystery that we've been talking about, I know we mentioned it like the first like two issues of this is kind of wondering, you know, who this challenger was because they haven't shown his face at all. Right. And we didn't know at the time that the challenger is the actual name of this character. Yeah. Yeah. So rather than just being, uh, like, all right, who is the challenger? Well, the challenger is the challenger. Um, but yeah, when we get an actually, uh, interesting backstory later on, but we start off with seeing him now. Upon uh, the first visuals here, is this somebody we've seen before in Marvel Comics that anybody knows? No, no this is uh, a new... Yes, this is a classic character. This is the uh, villainous equivalent of a Voyager who's <laughs> okay, been yep. around for years and years and years. Because <laughs> we do see some elder uh, relations. He's a part of the elders. Of the yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he is was banished <laughs> off to some other dimension, which is why we have not seen him up until now, now because apparently everything ended. Speaking of Voyager, yes. did you notice that in the opening part where they're showing us all the participants I of the it. issue, no Voyager. No Voyager. <laughs> yeah, I skipped it because once there's just all these names, I'm like, all right, I, I knew who we're dealing with. Voyager but. really doesn't play a part in this issue. Yeah, but neither does Dr. Voodoo, Scarlet Witch, or Vision. None of them show up, and yet they're all listed here. Yeah, and suddenly, I... Voyager's gone. Your favorite character is gone. <laughs> the one I keep going, who? Grandmaster <laughs> is included, but Challenger is not. Yeah, and I remember Jim mentioned that too when just when you were going through asking where everybody was, and we did see that where some of the players are in the issue and some aren't. So 
Not sure exactly what's uh, oh, And although the players haven't oh. changed very much, they keep changing up who they actually introduce in that, that character page. Mm. So, yeah, after we see uh, the challenger show up, uh, we see him uh, standing there, and uh, we then immediately cut to the action that ended the last issue where we have uh, everybody kind of racing towards that that uh, triangle thing where they call it some pyramid or something. Pyramid. Pyramid. Yes. In the sky, as we saw Johnny Storm, you know, swoop in and uh, and uh, grab it and start burning up, and people yelling out "torch" and just wondering, you know, what had happened there. And uh, and as we had seen with the other participants of uh, was it like the Black Order or the other team where somebody had basically disappeared or died um, when they had right the, reached fir- the first one somebody got, and I think it was a member of the Black Order. Right, reached up, touched it, and disappeared and a number one appeared in the sky yes <laughs> and then we cut to them just saying all right that's basically the end of the round because some of these people are like all right that was a good match you know like here and there and people like you know bowing out but you have our yeah. earth Avengers. i know i was actually surprised because the the first round it didn't seem like everybody was like oh i had good game good game you know but this time they're practically patting each other on the butts yeah, yeah. you know going, hey Good, good game. Good, yeah, you know. well fought, huh? Like, everyone's just wondering at points. And so the Avengers are all, like, still trying to figure out, like, what this all means. And and you see them, uh, yeah, just kind of dealing with that and dealing with the idea of Johnny Storm being uh, basically eliminated. And you have, uh, what is it, Lightning taking some of the ownership of of this. Yeah, he, he wasn't he fast enough. there in time, so kind of blaming himself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what they have to uh, rush back to let um, Rogue know, because apparently uh, Johnny Storm and Rogue have... Yeah, apparently they're close. Was that in some Uncanny Avengers stuff that maybe we didn't read? Or, yeah, or is I it think, some old history? Or? I think it's in the Uncanny Avengers. Yeah, because I haven't read it steadily, but so they have it, been getting closer. Because so. when you read the Deadpool book, there's some Deadpool and Rogue history there, and then you're reading Rogue and Gambit. So like right now I'm just like, all right. You know. Well, uh, there's always the, the <laughs> secret love lives of Rogue too, you know, like uh, like Sentry, mm. you know, when they uh, killed off Sentry, and all of a sudden at the funeral, it's revealed that, you know, uh, apparently he and Rogue had had some off-panel romance or something because, uh, you know, he could touch her. Off-panel romance, I like that as a title for something, you know, like a <laughs> spin-off podcast or something. Um, then we jump back over to, uh, Jarvis, who's been, you know, for several issues now is you've, uh, dipped into a lot of that, David, of just kind of talking about, uh, the things that they're trying to find, uh, they, they refer to it as an Avengers fever that, what, all the stuff that he's been exposed to over the, yeah, the over all the these theories years. that what's going on is just this accumulation of all these different radiations and, and, and other things that he's been exposed to is the Avengers have been out saving the world countless times. Every time they probably just brought a little bit of something back with them. And, um, and so he's suffering from the years of exposure to all of these different things. And you've got a little bit of Avengers fever right now. Yeah, I got a little bit. I've been reading comics for many, many years. It was only a matter of time, time before, before something was going to yep. It's going to happen. Um, Welcome to toy. Yeah, then we cut back to uh, Rome there as we see uh, just kind of the end of the battle. And you see Rogue, uh, I think this is where she's kind of talking about how she's not really fit to be a leader. 
uh, kind of like leading this team and having a discussion back and forth with Thor and as they're kind of just going, talking about the, the leadership roles and what they should be doing, um, that's when Lightning shows up to uh, reveal the news to Rogue about uh, Johnny Storm, which is a perfect segue into Johnny Storm and that random guy, the Black Order guy, whoever that may be there, uh, caught into a, what, some sort of... Infinity Stone, yeah, yeah, that's Some what it stone. Some, a ring, <laughs> ring pops or something. That's what they kind of look like there. Um, but yeah, we see that, you know, okay, maybe they're not, you know, they're just temporarily, you know, in some sort of stasis, you know. And, but uh, yeah, we cut back to that, uh, the challenger and the uh, game master. Which is interesting. We've been wondering who the challenger is the whole time. It's the challenger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. Because <laughs> I remember saying, like, well, it's not Thanos because they always have a certain word balloon designed to yeah. Thanos' speech. So unless they were just masking it like he was using, like, a voice changer just to hide his identity from the audience or something. But, yeah, yeah, that's just it. The Challenger is the Challenger. <laughs> but that wasn't his name the entire time as he talks to uh, the Grandmaster and saying that, uh, you know, the Grandmaster, or Game Master, Grandmaster? Grandmaster, Grandmaster is what he's yeah. called now. Uh, the Grandmaster had stolen stolen the name, and uh, that dives into uh, basically like a... a, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, a history of these people, and uh, he had mentioned, you know, part of uh, the elders there, and uh, yeah, who, who are some of the other... I about why they, you know, took on these titles, because it was the cool thing to do at the time. Everybody picked a name, the gardener, the... Um, what were the other ones? The Elder, but they were both games people, so they were the fighting collect over collector. collector. Who was the real? Yeah, I'm the grand game master. Hey, you could be the games <laughs> men. Yeah, <laughs> they were more than that. They were brothers, they say, and then we see a, a brotherly rivalry um, uh, over a chess game here. Uh, and uh, yeah, ping pong. It looks dice, cards. Looks like there's a bunch of different games that Look, they're all the kind of playing. Stakes got higher. <laughs> yep. Um, and then where do we head off into? There? Then they're finally playing, and the idea is the loser will be barred from reality. Mm, okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's where yeah he kind of, who we now know as the challenger, kind of went off and disappeared for uh, quite some time. And is there a definite reason what brought him back? No, it's just uh, something about until. The end. There I waited in the dark, in the cold, alone and friendless. I wanted for everything to die. And one day, everything did. <laughs> is there going to be some connection with Voyager about how she was gone and then came back into people's memories? I don't know if there's any kind of you know, yeah, connection both that they're drawing. Both gone. Both are back at the same time. There's well, some connection, you would think. Uh, or, I mean... We don't know. I'm hoping they'll spin out what he means by that. Or maybe it'll just stay a mystery forever. Who knows? But maybe he meant when... Um, uh, Secret Empire came into being. Essentially, reality was poof. And a new reality was created. At that moment in time, it may have been what opened up the, the, where he was... For him to be free. And then that is resetting true. reality brings him into this one. 
that could have just been days later in comics world. You know? Yeah. For us, it was a couple of years, you know, between Secret Wars and Secret Empire and all that stuff. But yeah, for them, yeah, maybe it was just seconds later. Um, but yeah, then we uh, kind of cut back to, uh, as, as they get their backstory, we cut to their uh, the present time as they're once again looking at those uh, their new players, you know, up in the in their stasis. But uh, the challenger apparently has had one person on reserve. A very special ace in the hole, as he says. As then we cut to uh, New Mexico, as he continues, says, who understands the purpose of rage, rage being in bold font here, as we kind of just kind of zoom in on this cave and it kind of goes into blackness, and then you see a little green sparkle saying, help me. Um, so we, we had known a while back that, you know, once they announced Avengers No Surrender, there was some uh, cover art of uh, the Hulk's face, right? Pop up, yeah, and you we, see rage, you see green, you see. We've got uh, the promo poster here. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was right off the bat. It was, you know, um, revealed in interviews and everything that we would be seeing a return of the Banner Hulk um, during this uh, storyline. And. For those of you that haven't followed uh, Banner Hulk uh, a couple years ago for in the Civil War II, um, I think it was like issue four, I believe it was, there was a, a, a moment where involving Clint Barton and uh, a, an agreement between Bruce and Clint about if he ever turns, because at that point he hadn't been the Hulk for like a year or two or yeah. maybe more, as we see Amadeus Cho had kind of cured him and kind of took took the Hulk from him and kind of controlled it, but Bruce Banner kept kind of working on what, like another cure for whatever. But, uh, but yeah, then he said, no, oh, if I ever Hulk out again, then uh, Clint is in charge basically to, uh, he's the only one that I know will do it and quick enough to take him out and kill him. And, and uh, yeah, so then Banner Hulk had been gone mm-hmm. for quite a while and now we're getting some tease at that. Um, was there anything else within that? Seemed like a real quick like page yeah. turner. It was. It was. But there's, actually. I think, a lot of it. You know, just between the challenger and the uh, and the the game grandmaster, grandmaster, yeah. uh, between like their history and stuff. The so. old grandmaster and the new grandmaster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I thought it was interesting that when the, in the flashback with the old grandmaster and the his former name Gasps, whatever. Mm. Um, they're playing just a friendly game of hyper chess or whatever, and he wins with this certain move. And then in their showdown match, where the the challenger is banished, the new grandmaster wins with the exact same move. Okay. Yeah, and I was just wondering if anybody knew was familiar with that name. Um, the the hyper check. No, the the person's name, uh, uh, Anduai Gast. That was just the Grandmaster's name before he yeah, became. But the it's not not nothing special in the no. Marvel Universe. No, okay. But yeah, I mean the the mystery since issue one, we you know it was mostly about him and the reveal of the Challenger, and then now we have this next little tease, which, of course, they say you know to be continued in seven days. But I remember in some of the the previews, like, and you don't even see it in the. 680, 681, or 82 covers, you know, we get a little tease for the Hulk, 
And I think like the actual Hulk promo thing was maybe attached to part 10 of this story. Um, so I'm just kind of curious just if there was a reason, you know, if we're actually going to see. Because we would think we were going to get him right away in the right. next one. Obviously, that's why we come back to the call on Wednesday to pick up the next issue to find out. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm curious uh, to see if that'll be a... Yeah, although they, they might focus on a different part of the story you know, for, for the next yeah, issue yeah. where we might not see the players, we might not see a part of the game. Um, it's halftime. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the end of the first quarter. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how long Sports, this goes. Yeah. There were a few panels where they did, did seem to bring up cheating, so I wonder how, how that's going to come in. Yeah, it was brought up the importance of not cheating. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, um, any other thoughts about the issue in general, just the way the, the, the event is moving, or non-event, is moving along <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah, that, that's why I had such a long pause before, because I almost called it an event, and every time I'm about to say event, I think, wait, I can't call it that, because Marvel's not doing events. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying it so far, so. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed the action, the uh, Interaction of the characters in it. I'm still trying to figure out the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, so are the Avengers. Yeah, Seems we're kind of like on their level. Strange yeah. sort of game that to win you have to lose one of your players. <laughs> a lot of sacrifices coming into for victory here. So, but yeah, I, I'm real curious just about the Jarvis thing in general because they are spending so much time. You know, it was something that happened right away in the in the first issue, and then they're really. Rather than oh he's fine or not even part of the story anymore. I was I was surprised by the explanation because um, I wasn't sure where they were going with it, but then all the oh well it's the accumulation of all these things that he's been uh, exposed, uh, exposed to. to over the years. It didn't seem like that really had anything to do with the, the story, and I was expecting it to to have more of a um, something to do with what's going on. With the Avengers, with the Earth, um, you know, I thought there was going to be some kind of connection there, but instead, it's something that, at least right now, seems to be completely unrelated. It's just, you know, an, an explanation as to why Jarvis is out of the picture. But of course, Jarvis is a supporting character; he could just be out of the picture with no explanation whatsoever, and not too many people would think anything of it. Yeah, he's too busy taking care of the Avengers and not, you know, getting his flu shots and taking his vitamins <laughs> and stuff like that, so well, I guess we'll see, you know. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, then uh, we will uh, return back next week for part six of Avengers No Surrender with issue number 680, and I think that will close it out for the spoiler section. Welcome to the non-spoiler section in which we go around the table and talk about some of the books that we've been really liking over the last couple weeks. Uh, released this past Wednesday uh, was Swamp Thing Winter Special Number 1. This is an 80-page giant one-shot. Now, Swamp Thing, who hasn't had an a ongoing book for quite some time, had a miniseries uh, that was written by co-creator Len Wein. Um, this is a... Sp- really does live up to the special title because this book contains Len Wein's final story for Swamp Thing. Len Wein unfortunately passed away last fall, 2017. Um, Early in 2017 in spring, we lost the artist, co-creator of Swamp Thing, uh, Bernie Wrightson. Uh, So to lose both of them, you know, within the same year, short amount of time, 
Um, now, one year later, we have uh, a story that contains uh, Len's final story that was going to be the beginning of a new miniseries that kind of actually went off his last miniseries from like a year or two ago. Um, before we get into that, the first portion of the book is actually um, from big uh, DC writer over at uh, Batman and Mr. Miracle. Uh, we have Tom King who is uh, doing the greater part of the story here is a interesting story about Swamp Thing basically uh, coming to the aid of a boy who is being attacked in the snow. There's a, a snow monster that's out there in Swamp Thing who's kind of out of his element, um, kind of treading through the snow and stuff like that. And uh, it's a pretty... Uh, Tom King wrote a one-shot issue of Swamp Thing in the Batman book. Um which I think got a lot of people uh, interested into, like, Tom King should write Swamp Thing. And uh, just with the, you know, the beats of his storytelling, the pacing, it just fits Swamp Thing's, uh, you know, his brand of stories over the decades. So, yeah, the the main story is that, and it was definitely great. Uh, art was great. Uh, Jason Fabok, I believe. It's one of those books where the credits are, you know, deciding whether it's in the beginning, in the middle, or the end. Um, yep, Jason Fabok is art colors by Brad Anderson. But the back half of the book uh, kind of caught by surprise because I didn't know it was going to be presented in this format. So I knew this was going to be Len Wein's final story, and I just assumed we were going to have the lettered and drawn pages of this. But it didn't... He had presented the story, so you get a 20-page script of his panel outlines in here. So if you're, you know, interested in how comics are written, stuff like that, you're basically getting um, his descriptions to his artist saying on uh, panel four, uh, you know, we pan in and zoom this and we see here and we see a look of this and, you know, here's a little bit of dialogue and he's basically giving, it's almost like a Marvel method, but more than a Marvel method in the sense that, um he is giving some dialogue rather than, you know, the artist getting the just the general outline or the plot and then drawing it. And then, then the writer is like, all right, I'm going to make up some words now for it. Um, this is showing Len's process that he had a lot of trust with his artist, uh, Kelly Jones, that he worked with on the last miniseries. Um, so Kelly Jones fully drawn and got the book colored, but the editor of this book has a message in the beginning just saying, we didn't want to put the the dialogue into the book, so it's basically a silent story, but at the end of the story, you get those that outline of the description of kind of what's happening. If You know, you can definitely tell what's happening without the words there, but uh, they were just kind of saying, like, it, it kind of made it that special. They didn't want to make up dialogue and mixed with his outline or something like that, so they left it as it was and kind of basically told his final story as a silent story. Um, so yeah, that if you're a fan of Swamp Thing and Len Wein, who co-created characters like Wolverine and Colossus and Storm and Nightcrawler and, you know, editor in the original Watchmen book, like, it, you know, he's, was he an editor-in-chief at some point too at Marvel maybe for a period? And basically someone who's kind of had his uh, dipped into a bunch of different waters uh, for comic books, not just being a writer, you know. And uh, so it was just a... This is a beautiful tribute to that, uh, to the writer. And then in the back, you get your, you know, oh, tributes with some photos. And then you see uh, Bernie Wrightson get some uh, credit here as they remember him as well. 
And then what I thought in a one, two, and three page reveal, you get uh, pencils that says, a tribute piece was commissioned by DC co-publisher Dan DiDio in conjunction uh, with Marvel Comics um, to honor Lean, or Len and his uh, creations across all comics. It uh, Basically, an art piece they gave to his wife that has Len Wein, Wolverine, and Swamp Thing, you know, like, all Having together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sitting there at the desk. And you see it at the pencil stage, you see it at the ink stage, and then to close out the book, you see it in the full color stage oh, there. Oh. And that was just a... It's an excellent tribute. I mean, it's a great story from Tom King and uh, Jason Fabok there. But then the backup, you know, to they covered the winter part, but then Len Wein and Kelly Jones covered the special part, basically. So that's an excellent book, and uh, ask for a reorder if that's uh, something something you like in part of your collection. So, all right, that'll be that. All right, move on to X Men Red number one. Yeah, well, we did you, been, uh, you read red? No. I I read red. <laughs> I read red as well. Did no, you read I did red? not read. That's right, because you Ooh. talked about you know the characters and the, some well, of the supporting cast. Or yeah, partially and partially, there comes a point where there's just too much X Men you're reading, <laughs> and it's kind of like. And okay, we got X Men Gold, X Men Blue, Cable X, Weapon X, and, when, and while they and while they've canceled Generation X, there's now a new, new generation. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, it's not that I have a big opposition to it. It's more just why another X Men book. <laughs> well, let's see if he tells you why. Why? <laughs> well, because we just brought back Gene Gene Green, Green, and we got a new <laughs> And that's pretty much what we're getting. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't uh, give too much away about the uh, the book itself, but um, I was kind of where you're sitting, looking at it is. Uh, it's not a book full of characters that I really care too much about. And I'm not sure that I need another X-Men book in my life right now either. But I'll check it out. And I did. And um, I was underwhelmed. Um, it's, it's not a horribly done book or anything. But... Um, Who well, are the characters, just curiously, um, read? So Well, we got, of course, Jean Grey. Mm. Nightcrawler, which... I was trying to figure out how they were going to work him into it because he's an X-Men Gold character, and that doesn't seem to be changing. Mm. Um, although after the next few issues, there's probably going to be a, a lineup change in X-Men Gold as well. Mm. Uh, but for right now, Nightcrawler is still in that book. As far as we're aware, he will continue to be in that book. But now he's in red also. Um and we have the all-new Wolverine, uh, Laura Kinney, a.k.a. X-23, and then her clone, Honey Badger, a.k.a. Gabby. Tom Taylor, who's writing the all-new Wolverine book, is writing the X-Men Red. So once I saw that, I'm a fan of that other book as well, so he brought those characters into this right. team title as well. Um, Namor, who does play a part in this story. Um, you've actually got a couple of characters who are shown in here and listed as being on the team, although they do nothing with them in this book. <laughs> and that's Gentle, who I'm not real familiar with, but I think he's from Wakanda. Okay. He's a he's a mutant from Wakanda. And uh, Trinary, 
I think is a new character. Um, but nothing's really done with her in this book. Um, <clears throat> this book focuses on Jean and what she decides her new mission is going to be. Um, which is going to protect mutants um, in a way that they're not being protected right now. Um, and she's going around and trying to allow mutants to be recognized as a nation, even though they don't currently have a nation. But because the UN is dealing with mutants as a whole, she feels that they should have a voice as a whole. So she gets uh, Black Panther from Wakanda and Namor from Atlantis to be two nations that will recognize her as having a nation. Um, you made her queen. <laughs> she did it herself. Definitely not the white queen, Emma Frost. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this book has her and a few of these other characters going out and saving a few young mutants. Um, and then establishing um, this mutant nation and going before the United Nations um, just in time to have a uh, another villain revealed. It's a, a returning villain um, revealed at the end of it who apparently Gene's plans... Um, have have ruined this villain's plans. <laughs> so this villain is um, up, upset, and 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 it shows. Um, <clears throat> but as far as being a first issue with a new team coming off of Jean Grey's resurrection in Phoenix Resurrection and all that stuff, um, when you're com coming off of there and it's kicking off this new ongoing title. I just felt that overall it, it lacked something. Um, but I will say I felt the same thing when I read X-Men Gold, number one. I found that to be an underwhelming first issue. Um, and yet here we are, 21 issues <laughs> into that. I'm still reading it, and it's my favorite X-Men book of, of the group at this point. So will X-Men Red turn around and... and be a good book. I am not sure. I'll probably read it for a couple of issues and see. Um, hopefully, if not, I can drop it. Um, Astonishing X-Men is another one that I kind of tried under the same type of thing. It wasn't a team that I really cared about, um, but at least it's been interesting enough that I've continued with it so far. So we'll see what happens with X-Men, right? Yeah, when you make the connection of like, you know, just literally last week wrapping up the Phoenix uh, Resurrection... It, it seems like there's some missing parts in there where you just kind of jump from that ending to this. So if you were reading that and read this, like there's definitely some things that probably seem missing. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it as what it was, but I would agree that, yeah, there seems like... Yeah, there's there's no explanation. There's no... Uh, yeah, I guess no explanation for... Uh, you just jump right into Gene, the fray and Gene just... Gene getting like, from point A at the end of Phoenix Resurrection to point B, which is the beginning of... X-Men Red. There's no in-between. Right, and that just from what you described, that would be what bothers me. She's just going to jump in and be integrated into everything without anybody going, right. she, wait a minute. <laughs> she, she hasn't reconnected with any of the X-Men except for for some reason Nightcrawler, which they weren't they weren't not close, but you know, her and Storm were like best friends, so you'd think that maybe someone like that would be um 
you know, who who she'd go to to kind of talk to and share her ideas and stuff like Cause that. Because Nightcrawler and what, Rachel Gray are sort of an item, I think, at the time. So, like, even on that kind of level, right. you know, but you don't have that friendship level. Like, it's a, like if it's a Wolverine and Jubilee or Wolverine and Kitty Pride or, like, you know, Nightcrawler and, having, and a, having that read, I can't make much of a comment, but, I mean, it seems like an abrupt sort of... Yeah, you, you just kind of get thrown into her going out and um, saving mutants and, and already having... Uh, this base established, although I, I think that things don't necessarily happen like on a linear. Um, yeah, we don't know like here how far, how long it's been since last week. Because I, I, I think that their base that they have, which is Cerebro, C being S E A, Cerebro, because it's a it's like a three thousand mile under the ocean type base which you would think that she would need some help from namor for that although she goes to namor for help with this other thing so i don't know at what point the base is built and established and how much time passes here you you don't really get a sense of that you kind of get the feeling that it happens a little out of order but how everything happens is a little unclear well it seems like and again, I'm interested to hear from you who read it, that what they're trying to do is they're trying to set up somewhat the same tension that existed right before everything fell apart with Scott and his island. That what you have is one set of X-Men who their ideal is we need to integrate with humans, we need to become you know, one with their reality. And so you have Kitty Pride over here with her mutants doing that. And then you have this group that says, no, what we really need to do is stand up for mutant rights and get ourselves recognized. And so it seems like they're trying to create the same sort of... Yeah, right now, um, <laughs> each each of these X-Men teams that are out there all seem to have a different agenda. primary <laughs> agenda. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and hers is... Uh, a little bit more of the politics surrounding surrounding mutants, although X-Men Gold, you get into that a little bit, but hers seems to delve right into that. She does make this acknowledgement, um, you know, that it doesn't seem like she wants to actually create a physical nation of mutants, um, and there's the acknowledgement there that every time they've tried that, it's failed, it's actually made them a bigger target. Um, but she does want mutants to, to have a voice, you know, when it comes to the governments uh, discussing what to do and how to handle mutants. Mm. Well, keep us informed. Yeah, I'll be, I, I like the act, you know. Because uncon- I'm not going to be reading right away. <laughs> unconnected to the Phoenix Resurrection, I enjoyed it just as it's an action-packed X-Men tale dealing with X-Men related stuff. Yeah, and I'll say the, the action and everything was there. Big opening scene. I, I, I think. Uh, I think more than anything, the way that they chose to kick it off um, threw me off a bit. Yeah, in relation to Phoenix Resurrection, yeah, I could see it being underwhelming on that aspect. So, but yeah, I pre-ordered the first couple here, and so far, yeah, I'm collecting all the colors. So I guess <laughs> all the colors he's, of the X Men Rainbow. X Men Rainbow. X Men Prismatic. <laughs> Moving over to non-spoilers and Justice League number 38. Justice League number 38. It is the People versus Justice League part 5. 
I believe the story arc is coming to an end in another issue or two. Um, <clears throat> this one sees the aftermath of the attack attacks by the Justice League's ultimate fan, the fan, um, the and the it opens up with the Flash, Barry Allen dealing with the problems on the Watchtower. Um, uh, this, and the Barry Allen part is my favorite part of the issue. Um, the other part of the issue deals with the tensions and fallout between the other members of the Justice League and their, how they clash over how Batman has been running the team and the, what he's been dealing with there. But the, bear, and the speed, Flash part here, it opens up with him bemoaning that <clears throat> he's a scientist, not an engineer, and he's left to fix all this stuff, you know. And just from this first page, and I was thinking, it sounds like The Martian. And later on, in fact, there is a Matt Damon reference to The Martian. <laughs> oh, the movie The Martian. I was talking about yeah. uh, Martian Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I was wondering, too, because um, there's some things going on in D.C. right now. And you kind of see it in, uh, in Metal where they show Martian Manhunter brought back into into it. And there's a, there's been a couple instances now where it seems like they might be trying to reestablish Martian Manhunter back into the League or having um, some a place in the origins of the League. Um, and so, yeah, when you said that, I thought maybe he was making an appearance there too. Um, no, Martian Manhunter does not appear in this issue, but it does appear that there may be an opening for a new character. Um, I don't know how far we want to go into it with being a non-spoiler, but... <laughs> I'd say that's a tease. Yep, it's a tease. <laughs> All right. good tease. Definitely a tease. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, again, I just want to go with the Flash, you know, without... It's not a very much of a teaser, tease breaker, but... The Flash, you know, really sciences the heck out of this, rescuing a, a, a stranded astronaut who comes to resupply the wounded watchtower. Their shuttle crashes into the side of the building or the side of the satellite, and the astronaut's lost, and Flash has to go out and rescue him. And just how he uses the science and the physics of the speed force to go out and, you know, whether this is really grounded in real physics or not, I found it interesting, and how he's reasoning through the problems and uses his little finger to pr pr produce momentum to propel them back. Well, it's at least grounded in comic book physics. Comic book physics. <laughs> rational, rational thought, you know, rather than just, eh, do it that way. Magic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like I said, um, it ends up with the developing tension amongst the members of the Justice League and finding different levels of membership, <laughs> or at least perceived different, you know, cores, core members and subsidiary members and who belongs to what level. And it's like I said, I believe it will wrap up in an issue or two with a story arc, but... <coughs> And there is a potential for big divisions within the league, too. 
Well, I haven't been following Justice League, but just your little stuff about the Flash gets me. Maybe they'll pick this one up if it's still sitting out there on the shelf because it sounds kind of. <laughs> well, they do come together a little bit at the end to help Flash when he's nearly killed. I'll say that. <laughs> and something I don't, I don't think I brought it up in the club. I think I might have mentioned it to you, Anthony. Um, coming out of this storyline in Justice League and some of the uh, storylines that have wrapped up in a couple other books, they're going to do a crossover event. Uh, it'll be Justice League, Titans, Teen Titans. I think it's both, both Justice League books. And it's expected that we will see some lineup changes possibly in all of these teams. Um, some people are questioning whether the Titans will continue after it and, and, and everything else. And that is something that I brought up to Anthony is potentially being a, uh, a club pick uh, for DC. Um, but that'll be uh, coming up pretty soon, uh, I think in a, another month or two. Oh, he's so much change. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we'll move on over to Infinity Countdown. Adam Warlock, number one. Yes, uh, I've been looking forward to all the countdown stuff because I want to see how they're going to guide us into the movie, especially because within comic continuity, we've already had the Infinity War, so are they just going to repristinate the Infinity War in the movies now and have it at a later time? How are they going to do this? And I think this particular book is the beginning of how we're going to transition all this around. Um, the, just to set up just the general structure of the book, um, Adam Warlock has died somehow along the way. And I'm, people who've been reading all the Infinity War stuff along the line, have, as I have, I think there was a point at which Adam Warlock did disappear. He, yeah. he took up residence in the Soul Gem and just... Poof, he was gone for, for, because part of it was they were trying to hide all the soul gems in the old Infinity War. And yeah, he's one of those characters that'll die, disappear, be in a cocoon, come out of a cocoon, go back yeah, in a cocoon. Right. And, and they refer to that in the <laughs> Infinity, in this countdown book. But he is now back alive at the very end of time with Kang. Kang the Conqueror. Um, the mover in time who is now trying to help him set up because there's some disruption in the past that destroys everything. So he's trying to help him now get to that point in history where he can intercede. And I know within the movie point, um, they're talking about a movie for Adam Warlock where he's going to show up somewhere. You know, we don't know exactly how that is in relation to the Infinity War. So I would encourage people just to read it, and I know a few of you others read it. There was a certain confusion I had as I read this because they did a lot of twisting around a question that the book leaves me, and I'd encourage people to read it and think about it for themselves. Are they trying to set up that un-Infinity War happened, happened at one time, but somehow the knowledge of that is gone now in the present, and that Adam Warlock is now, who is probably one of the few people who still has some knowledge of that past Infinity. Because there was something, I think, at one of the, in the, one of the Infinity Wars that they changed everybody's consciousness of it. Except for the, like, six people who had the Infinity Gems. Um, so that 
that actually did take place at one time, and this new one that's coming up in the movie is actually a new Infinity War that that now is following in the footsteps of that. Yeah, because when you have Gauntlet and Crusade and War, and you kind of see that, you know, how they would adapt it for the MCU, you kind of see different, you know, always taking classic stories, but taking different routes to get there and kind of mm. changing things, like for a character like Adam Warlock that they didn't establish, or having a character like the Silver Surfer, two of those characters are very important to the original Infinity Gauntlet, yet those are players that are not necessarily directly tied into yeah, what we're about to yeah. see. So it's, yeah, it is interesting to see if this will be a way to kind of... To connect up both the old continuity and some kind of synergy maybe on. going on there. And so so well, people well, who are really well, interested, I'd encourage them to read it just because there may be some connections you want to make as you go along between what's going on and what happened in the comics. And it's a very beautiful book. Uh, one of my favorite artists, Michael Allred, and his wife who colors his work, Laura Allred. Um, we recently did the Silver Surfer series for the last couple of years, and he's got his own series, Madman, and he's worked on Batman 66. And uh, this is just a love letter to his art because he gets to draw like all of the Marvel heroes, basically. And just, yeah, so that was one thing I got, his variant cover that he drew. Like you got the regular one. one. And then Kurt set this one aside because he's like, yeah, this looks like your guy's art. I'm like, yep, you're right. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, just on a beautiful art piece, too. It's a, it's a gorgeous book. So. Yeah, it is really beautifully drawn. And, uh... Yeah, he's got this pop art type of style. To, it's a very unique thing that whenever you see his work somewhere, you know that it's Michael and Laura Allred, so... And it, for me, it's just nice to see Adam Warlock back, too, because I liked him as a character. And I, I've been sorry that Marvel hasn't done more with him. I was going to say, I know that James Gunn has been in a real big hurry to get him introduced into the movies, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a well, there's that. There's Nova is another thing. But uh, here is what we've known, know for the movies, that, you know, with Guardians 2, there's a setup for um, him slash Adam, Adam Warlock, and since it happens before Infinity War, a lot of people are like, all right, cool, he's going to show up in there. And this isn't a spoiler. This is news that is just public knowledge that's out there from the creators. Because uh, James Gunn doesn't go around. He doesn't uh, lie when he, he does a lot of Q&As and stuff like that. He doesn't mislead fans for the, you know, the idea of suspense and yeah. reveals and stuff. But uh, he said, he's like, I'm a producer on... Uh, Avengers 3 and 4 he's like Adam Warlock is not in those movies we're going to see him in Guardians 3 having him be in the Guardians teaser was just a teaser for the next Guardians opposed to Avengers and you know one person could be like oh he's just saying that but you know he's constantly said he's like I don't lie to fans he's like it doesn't make sense and blah 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 so I am curious to see how he's going to fit into for someone that's one of the most important people And especially to the story. if this book is tied at all to what's coming up in the movies, and I assume, seeing you're running all these, that these are all lead-ins, if at some point he's not introduced as part of all this, it's going to be really strange, because... Well, it, and, it, I, and it, I don't want to spoil anything, but... That, it, it's especially just like you've got the Ultron thing, <laughs> you know. It, it's like you could say, well, Hank Pym was absolutely crucial to the creation of Ultron. And yet, um, Ant-Man was put back behind um, 
Avengers Age of Ultron. So a lot of people are going, well, how are they going to have Ultron? And they just kind of redid things and used other characters, and and that's how it went. So no idea what they're doing with with the Infinity War uh, for the MCU, but I would suspect that they would have to kind of rewrite different parts for other characters. Right. Well, and I can see redoing the Infinity War. It's just this comic because of how they set it up. If this is tied to that, there are elements of this that tie directly into the Infinity War. What Adam Warlock is asked to do would put him right in the middle of that. (laughs) Um, So, unless he fails to do what he's sent back to do. It's not, this isn't... My son says this has no continuity with the movies whatsoever. I thought this was a lead up to. Well, they're doing the Infinity like comic stories because they have the Infinity War preludes going on, which are just the two. But with them, you know, they're doing this obviously because they have this big movie coming out. Kind of like them doing Civil War two because they did, you know, Captain America Civil War. Okay. Um, So it's kind of the same thing comics they're doing this new infinity war type deal because but it has nothing because to do with what they're doing over here what's <laughs> the trade on the name okay and so what they're really going to do is spin two different kinds of continuity out out there right okay got it but it is that a, makes more sense <laughs> but it is interesting what you said with adam warlock is yeah because you know, MCU world where he doesn't have that, you know, primary focus. It's curious to see if they'll do anything because they've done that with synergy things like once Guardians hit, the old Star-Lord comic character from the 80s started looking like Chris Pratt and dressing like Chris Pratt and Kurt Schub. Um, (laughs) And uh, so... Who does it really well and maybe better than Chris Pratt. That is true. Chris (laughs) Pratt better, you know... He might just have to stick with the Jurassic Park movies and, and leave the Marvel stuff to Kurt. Um, but yeah, like it still brings up that interesting question where when you have King the Conqueror and this time travel and all this kind of stuff, you know, they could do anything to kind of almost retroactively make some things not exist from the 90s to further serve whatever they're doing and, you know, movie-wise, but yeah. One little Easter egg I'll say uh, has no uh, spoiler story uh, contribution, but uh, Michael Allred, the artist, uh, included there's this. Uh, you see, a, and we saw it at the yep. end of one of the Guardians issues, I think. If you haven't read it, that's. I think it was at the end of Guardians where we first saw King's like throne room. He's got all these artifacts of you know Magneto's helmet and like Cap Shield and just a bunch of. You know, Avengers logo, you know, sign and all that stuff. Well, right in the middle of all of it, there's a, like a dra- drawing draft board desk type of setup. And that is famously Jack Kirby's yep. <laughs> uh, drawing board. And people had asked him, like, is that what is that a call out? And he's like, yep. He's like, that was, it had to be part of King's collection. You know? so <laughs> that's kind of a cool little, like, yeah. you know. Meta, I don't know if that's the correct use of that term for that sense, but just to throw in a little nod to Jack Kirby and just kind of putting his little... Because every time you saw pictures of Jack Kirby, it's always him at that table and just smoking a cigar. (laughs) Most of the time shirtless when he's drawing. You know, That was always how you saw him in those 
old photos. That's where they got shit. I'm trying to figure out the shadow. <laughs> Wolverine. Is that yep. going to be a hunt for Wolverines? Uh, yeah, a little time. hunt for Wolverine oh. stuff now. Well, the shadow doesn't match. <laughs> but but yeah, so it. that's a fun little art Easter egg there. So, but yeah. It's, uh, but it was an enjoyable book, and especially people who are interested in Infinity War stuff. I think you need, you know, and you would you, want to read this. And if you don't know much about Adam Warlock, this is a good jumping point. For yeah, that to kind of because they actually review his history to a certain extent too in the book. So yeah, that is that. Um, we're gonna move on. Anyone else have any other roundtable editions? Um, we're closing in, and we don't have any real news or anything that we really wanted to no. dive into. No. Uh, <laughs> It's we were discussing some off-podcast stuff, but that's like a two-hour discussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just the uh, the lead-up into that conversation was uh, the yeah. length of a podcast by itself. So we're going to keep some positivity in here. So, so watch for the special edition podcast. Yeah, for our Patreon subscribers that we don't have a Patreon for yet. But anyways, uh, we're at 53 minutes, so just to close. A after dark. Yeah, there we go. Um, so to close out the hour here, uh, quick reviews. I Hate Fairyland, number 16 from Image Comics. Um, this is one of those books that'll take a couple months in between their arcs. This is uh, the start of the third arc. It's a series about this uh, little girl, she's probably like a nine-year-old girl named Gertrude, who gets uh, sucked into Fairyland. You think that's all fun and games until she's trapped there for 30 years, and she's very violent and vulgar and <laughs> horrific, and, and the book is gory, and she's killing people. And as you can tell from the title, is I hate Fairyland. So uh, for a little girl that was excited to go there, now trapped there, she turns to hate the, hate Fairyland. But... It's a, it's a crazy, fun book. It's one of those that kind of teeters on kind of for kids, but not, like it's drawn for kids in the sense of like it's got that fairy tale. Like Scotty Young is the guy who drew all of the Marvel uh, adaptations of the original Oz books, and that's how I found him. I bought all those hardcovers, and then he came out with his first independent series and he draws all like the baby cover variants for marvel and stuff like that and makes a career out of that but he's got this independent series that uh uh as far as like the kid centric thing goes while there is like violence and gore in an animated type of fashion um any curse words are substituted with cute words like fluff well, fluff you, things like that. But it's, it's so it's an adorable looking book, and and, and cosplay wise, there's definitely parents who read this that are making their you know nine year old daughters dress up as Gertrude and stuff like that. So whether or not they're allowed to read the book, that's beyond me. But uh, yeah, if you're just into a crazy, uh, more violent, bloody version of a fairyland cutesy story background. I Hate Fairyland is exactly for you. Um, yes. Who's that from? Uh, Scotty Young um, does the art and the writing, and then uh, Jean-Francois Bellou does the colors. But uh, Scotty Young, yeah, so he's got the baby covers, the Little Marvels, Little Marvels versus X-Men, Avengers versus X-Men, and uh, the Wizard of Oz books for Marvel. So. <laughs> Um, Daredevil number 598 as we're closing in on the Mayor Fisk uh, storyline which kicked off a couple issues ago where Wilson Fisk is the mayor of uh, New York City and he has recently hired Matt Murdock as his like deputy mayor he's keeping 
Matt, who's always been, you know, a thorn in his side, he's keeping him close by giving him an assignment and he's kind of overloading him with all of this uh, reading material because Fisk doesn't want to look into like the certain laws and history and all this kind of stuff. So he's trying to keep Matt Murdock busy while Matt Murdock, who's secretly Daredevil, I hate to say that to all of you around here. Wait. But, Whoa, really? It's a, I'm going to blind spoiler, guy. <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. But issue 598, we do find out that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. Um, no, but uh, so while Matt has very much accepted that role because now he has inside ears uh, they, they make one reference to him bugging the mayor's office, but not with a physical like device that you would expect, but because he's got the with himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it, it's been, it's pretty interesting while mayor Fisk wants to, uh, basically make superheroes illegal and is definitely doing everything he can to control, you know, crime and then now the city. But what you see on this cover is a character that debuted in the beginning of, uh, Charles Soule and uh, Ron Garney's run here on Daredevil is an inhuman villain called Muse. So like a year or two ago, this character debuted where he's a villain that goes around. He was known as Vincent Van Gore <laughs> because when you found his murals that were uh, uh, vandalizing um, you know, city buildings and stuff like that, they inspected that he that what he used to paint those murals was the blood of innocent people, mm-hmm. and this guy is one of the cre like he's a new character that's in this continuity. He's a real creepy villain that just it's very unsettling, but in a very entertaining way for the story. So he comes back into the story starting with this issue, as you see, he's crossing out. Uh, well, yep. <laughs> so it, it's interesting when you have a villain kind of vandalizing another villain in this sense but daredevil's been some good stuff we're leading up to issue number 600 here and a couple minutes to go before the hour so let's talk about she hulk number 162 uh jennifer walters going back all the way to civil war ii um where that event kicked off where she was attacked by thanos and sent to the hospital she was in a coma and uh woke up and found out that her cousin bruce banner was now dead and she developed a PTSD and it did an interesting take on the character of She-Hulk who's always had the control over over the Hulk inner rage you know wearing it you know honor you know mm-hmm. wearing it loud and proud being her lawyer and everything like that but the Hulk book now turned back to She-Hulk title wise um has been dealing with her kind of controlling that and is a very important issue that, you know, something they started, you know, almost two years ago in her title. So She-Hulk number 162 has been, it's been quite a good run. Unfortunately, that book is uh, coming to a close. It was one of those we mentioned on the cancellation block. Yeah, one of the, uh, what do they call them, the Marvel Christmas cancellations. Yeah, where yeah. Around Christmas time, they announced this long list of uh, books that were getting the axe. So yeah, this is one of them, but it seems like, you know, they had the heads up that they are telling, you know, because we're kind of coming full circle as we're left with like one or two issues here. But so, um, but it's never too late to jump on and order up some trades. And I don't I know there was one of them here, so I don't know if someone had picked that up, but uh, you guys had ordered that here at Crimson Call. So highly uh, a big fan of She-Hulk and just Hulk uh, for her title. 
So yeah, I think that will wrap it up for uh, the podcast in general. Uh, next week we'll be talking about the next part of the Avengers No Surrender. So uh, everyone's invited to come to the table if you're listening to this and listen back to the other ep- episodes of the podcast and check out the issues off the shelf and never too late to get caught up as we're still you know, a little under, what do you say, the quarter first quarter break of the of the war of the of the game of the challenge so we're kind of like that in the story as well so yeah I, how many issues are there's 16, 16 total 16 total so, so yeah we're, we're about just a third of the way yeah. through yeah we're, we're just above <laughs> that there so uh never too late to join the club and get in on the action there this whole time i've been anthony i'm david i'm katie i'm jim and i'm father of kurt <laughs> <laughs> to be continued Thanks for listening. The Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Barton Avenue in West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.